0: Today is the fifth in a series of eight that we're doing on women of the Bible. The first four that we did were women from the Old Testament, and the reason we picked those four was because they were in the lineage of Jesus. So to give equal airtime to the Old Testament and New Testament, we randomly picked four women from the New Testament to see what the Bible says about that. So today, the first woman uh, in this New Testament group of four, she doesn't have a name. She's a Samaritan woman, commonly referred to as a woman at the well. And this particular passage in John chapter 4 is actually a case study in evangelism. So what I want to do is I want to go through that and from her perspective. And as I was preparing the message today, as as I was reading and rereading uh, John's account of this, it, it reminds me of so many times when you read John's writings, there's always Jesus is saying something and whoever he's talking to doesn't understand him. So, they have this back and forth, and you just kind of wonder, you know, what are they thinking when they're talking but not really communicating with each other? And it made me think of a movie back in the 1970s, it was uh, called Annie Hall, Woody Allen was the director, and I don't know if any of you saw it, um, but Woody Allen's actually in the movie with a very young Diane Keaton. And they're sort of kind of getting to know each other, but there's a scene in the movie where they're talking about, I think it was photography, and all of a sudden, subtitles come up in the movie. Now, usually you have subtitles whenever there's somebody speaking a different language, but the subtitles that come up are actually what they're thinking, and has nothing to do with what they're saying. Like, he mentioned something about photography, and then what his thinking is, is boy, this lady is really pretty. And then she says something about photography, and then she says, boy, that really sounds stupid. He must think I'm a yo-yo. And then he goes back to him saying something about photography. And he says, boy, I'm really boring. I've got to do something about this. And then she says something about, again, photography or art or whatever. And, and she says, I hope this guy's not a jerk like all the other guys I know. I would have shown you the clip. I'm not doing it a lot of justice. But it really was not a family-friendly scene. But anyway, it was this really unusual thing. And I think we all do this when we talk. You know, sometimes you think, you're saying one thing, but you're actually thinking something else. So what I wanted to do was take a little bit of artistic liberty and probably take a walk on the danger side, is I want to give you a perspective of what I think the woman was thinking. And I know guys never know what women are thinking, so just, just take this for entertainment value. So anyway, let's get started on this. And... John chapter 4, verse 3. In Jesus, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he, had, so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being weary from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, or about the noontime. And then there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Now, just to give you a little bit of background, what's going on, is that Jesus was down in in Judea. Oops, I keep doing that. Jesus was down here in Judea, and he wanted to go up here to Galilee. But he had to go through, the shortest distance between two points was to go through Samaria. And if you know anything about this, the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along with each other. And so what many people were doing, when they would leave Jerusalem, if they wanted to go to Galilee, they would cross over to the east side of the Jordan River and go up to Galilee this way. They just didn't have anything to do with uh, the, the Samaritans. And part of that was the Jews took pride in the fact that they, uh, the, in Judea, the Jews were very, um, what's the word, self-righteous because their lineage was pure. They knew that they were pure blood Jews whereas the people in Samaria were of mixed race. And what had happened was, um, if you know your ancient history, about seven or 800 years prior to this, the Assyrians came in, conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, who were Jews, and uprooted many of the people and spread them throughout the Assyrian empire. And the Assyrians were conquering other people, so when they would conquer another nation, they would, they would uproot those people, and they would plant them throughout the kingdom, some of which would be in Samaria. And the reason the Assyrians did that was so that when they conquered a people, they wanted to make sure that they didn't rise up in rebellion, so they spread them throughout the whole kingdom. And in the process, you know, the, you know, the, basically Samaria was like an ethnic dumping ground where the people there were too busy trying to get along because they didn't know the other people's language, so they were just trying to survive, and therefore they were not rising up against the the Assyrians. So, But anyway, they were of mixed blood, and the Jews looked down upon them. But another reason why the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along was that the Samaritans practiced a kind of Judaism. It wasn't quite what was practiced in in the Jerusalem temple. But one of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem went up uh, and uh, destroyed the um, temple of the Samaritans. So one way to not influence people and become friends is to burn down their house of worship. And that's exactly what the Jews did. So, and there's some other reasons, but anyway, the Jews and Samaritans did not get along with each other. Now, another interesting point about the the Jesus and the woman at the well, it's just the two of them, and the woman is there by herself, and scholars seem to think that she was there, she was ostracized. Uh, Many, the tradition was that women would gather in the morning, come out of the town, go to the well and gather water and they would do their, their, their gossip and whatever they did. And as a group they would head back. But this woman is by herself and it's the middle of the day, very unusual. So this woman is sort of an outcast in her own, uh, from her own people. So Jesus goes on, it's he and her at the well and he says to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, what's she really thinking? Subtitle number one, oh no, not one of these people. When people see you coming and they know you're a Christian, do they say the same thing? Oh no, not one of these guys. All right. So one of the points in your bulletin is that we need to be careful to avoid, hello, avoid creating an us versus them perception. Somehow, Jesus, uh, the Samaritan woman knew that Jesus was a Jew, but Jesus—I mean, he was obviously aware of the friction between the Jews and the Samaritans. But he chose to speak to her. For a man to speak to a woman was very unusual, and for a Jew to speak to. Uh, a Samaritan was, was extremely unusual, but Jesus chose to interact with her. And what we need to realize is that we should not be afraid to interact or spend time with people who are different than us and people who, quite frankly, we may not even like. We need to be willing to be friends with anyone and everyone. We don't have to agree with them or necessarily like what they do, but be respectful and do what we can to break down barriers. Because whether or not you realize it or not, you and I represent Jesus. So when people encounter Christians, whatever impression we leave with them is what they're going to think of when they think of Christians. And unfortunately, a lot of times, we meet people and they don't like us because we're Christians because of a past encounter that they had. So we need to be mindful to avoid creating an us-versus-them mentality. So despite the little friction here... Um, Hello. Could you move the next slide for me, please? It's dead. Somebody needs to cast out the demon in the video. Oops, where are we at? Okay, there we go. Thank you. Jesus goes on, he responds to her, he says, "'If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, "'Give me a drink,' you would have asked him, "'and he would have given you a drink, given you living water. "'Now she says to him, "'Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep.'" This well was about 100 feet deep, so you needed a rope and a bucket or jar to dip down to get the water. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle?" Okay, what's she really thinking here when she's talking about, you know, are you greater than our father Jacob? She's really saying, who do you think you are? And our point is we need to be careful not to project an attitude of superiority. It's interesting that she was so hung up with the superiority and the difference between the Jews and the Samaritans, she just totally overlooked the gift that Jesus had mentioned to her. It just totally went out of her mind. And she's still focusing on the water. Now, to her defense, the phrase living water, I mean, we know from hindsight that it's what what Jesus was talking about was himself. You know, living water for the soul um, to satisfy the deepest desires, deepest longings of every heart. But what she was hearing was physical water because the phrase living water could also mean like fresh water, flowing water, spring water. So again, she's between the, the Jewish Samaritan difference and, and, and not quite understanding what Jesus said. She was focusing in on water. But we need when we interact with non-Christians is to make sure that we're not, we don't have a holier-than-thou attitude. And sometimes by avoiding people or not spending time with them, they, they think that we think that we're better than they are. Spending time with people does a tremendous amount to shatter any misperceptions or misunderstandings that people may have. It breaks down the barriers. But despite what the woman said, Jesus went on and he said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. Now, again, she's starting to listen to Jesus, but she's still thinking about water. But what, she, what she's really thinking is, I don't have a clue what you're talking about, but it sounds really good. Sign me up. Okay? When we talk to non Christians, we need to, and this is another fill in, use clearly understood terms when talking about faith. All right, now I'm not criticizing Jesus. He's obviously the master evangelist. He knew this woman. He knew where this conversation was going. We don't have that advantage. But when we, uh, from looking at it from her perspective, we need to be careful about using Christian jargon. And we do it all the time. Like we mentioned sin, salvation, justification, eternal life, phrases that we've heard many, many times that others who don't have a church background may not have ever heard. It's kind of like if you go to the doctor and he says, you have a severe case of pharyngitis, cephalagia, and functional dyspepsia. Well, first of all, if my doctor told me that, I'd be mad. Second of all, I'd be scared to death thinking I'm going to die. But what's he really saying? He's just saying you've got a sore throat, a headache, and an upset stomach. You've got a touch of the flu, all right? Again, I'm sure you've had that happen. You go to the doctor. That's the kind of thing when we start talking about Christian jargon, it's, it goes way over the heads of people. You know, when we talk about sin, we may want to use words like dirty or contaminated. Uh, salvation, we may want to say being rescued or being made clean. Uh, even the phrase when we say you need to accept Jesus as your Savior or accept Jesus, sometimes that can be confusing because in some Christian circles, Uh, The idea of when you take communion, you have the bread and the wine. They actually believe it it becomes the body and blood of Jesus. So when they take communion, they are accepting Jesus. So that's not what we're talking about when we talk about accepting Jesus. We talk about making a conscious decision to follow him, a conscious decision to place our faith and trust in him and to recognize what he did for us by his sacrificial death on the cross for us. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation, our right standing with God. It is a pure gift that we accept graciously from Jesus. So be careful about the terminology that you use. And also be careful not to oversell the Christian faith. Don't make it out like everything's going to be wonderful and your life's going to be happy ever after. God can bless us, and he does bless us in many ways, but many of the blessings that we get when we become a child of God, is that it's more of an internal thing. We have peace. We have a sense of purpose. We have hope beyond the grave. We know that this life is not all that there is. So we need to be careful that we don't oversell the Christian faith. So Jesus goes on, and out of the blue, Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman says, I have no husband. Well, what do you think she was thinking when he said that? Is he hitting on me? I mean, I'm dead serious. Out of left field, he mentions her husband. And if you've ever been in a conversation with somebody of the opposite sex and all of a sudden they start talking about your spouse, red flags should start to go up. So, what the point we should be aware of is that when we talk with people, we need to be sensitive to our audience. We need to, be, need to be mindful of the setting, we need to be mindful of our body language, the tone of voice that we use. We need to be extremely careful when talking to people of the opposite sex. We need to be careful not to make them feel pressured or uncomfortable in any way. Now, Maybe the topic is going to make them uncomfortable, but physically, just in the setting, we need to make, do what we can to make them comfortable. And when we talk to them, try to keep the conversation on Jesus just to keep, their, to keep them focused on what we're talking about. Now, Jesus, to refute any sort of thought that he was flirting with her, he says to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, but you have five husbands, or you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. And the woman says to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, which is Mount Gerizim, which is real close to where the well was, and you people say that Jerusalem is in the place where men ought to worship. So what is she thinking when she says that? Okay, you don't have an ulterior motive. You're not hitting on me. I can have an open and honest conversation with you. So the point that we need to take away from this is that, is that we need to be genuine And we need to be safe. We need to speak the truth in love. We need to be accepting of people for where they are. Because notice that Jesus, he states the fact. He knows her. He knows she had five husbands and she's living in adultery. He doesn't judge her. He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't give her a lecture. He just very simply states the facts. Back in the day, the Jewish rabbis allowed people to have two, maybe three divorces before they were cast out and ostracized from the community. And I'm sure it was very similar with the Samaritans. And that was probably the reason why she was by herself at the well, because of her background. They knew her, knew what she, she had failed marriages, failed relationships. She was a failure. But anyway, Jesus knew that about her and still accepted her for who she was. And that's what we need to do. We need to accept people just as they are, just as Jesus did. And when people know that you're safe, they're willing to open up to you. So strive to have an open and honest exchange, and normally people will reciprocate. And it's interesting, you know, right away she starts talking about, um, when she knows she was safe. she was talking about where people ought to worship. In Ecclesiastics 311, it tells us that God has put inside of each man and woman an eternal perspective. We're not like the animals that just go from one meal, you know, from day to day or whatever. We think... Things more broadly. What is the purpose of life? Why am I here? Is there a God? What happens when I die? Those are the kind of perspectives that people have. And non Christians have that too. And, and, and all we need to do for them is just open the door just enough to invite them into a dialogue and we can talk with them. So Jesus goes on and he says to her Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And if you went to the retreat back in October, hopefully this is bringing back pleasant memories. We talked about worshiping God, having an attitude. It's your attitude, what's going on in your heart. That is the key to worship, and that's what Jesus is telling her. So the woman says to him, I know that Messiah is coming. Again, she's bringing up all these topics. He says to her, or he who is called the Christ, when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. So what the woman is really thinking at this point is, I guess I do think about spiritual things more than I realize. And the point for us is that people are interested in the things of God. The Samaritans obviously knew about a Messiah as we see from what this woman's dialogue. People may not know a whole lot about God or the Bible but I really think they're more interested in those things than they let on and more interested than we realize. And we need to ask them questions to draw them out. You know, very simple questions. Who do you think God is? Who do you think Jesus is? Um, Tell me about your spiritual background. Invite them into the conversation. By asking people questions, you're showing a sign of respect. And again, that goes to the whole point of breaking down any barriers that may exist between us. And when um, you ask them questions, they may ask you questions. Like, why do you follow Jesus? And this is... um, Probably one thing that we can all do, and this is probably a homework assignment for you, is have your testimony prepared. Be prepared in two minutes to succinctly and clearly, without Christian jargon, explain what your life was like before Jesus, what went on in your life that made you decide to follow Jesus, how does one become a follower of Jesus, and then how did Jesus make a difference in your life. 2 minutes it's your story and if you're if you're reluctant to do that think about this i mean people may disagree with the bible or they may not agree with who jesus is but they will never disagree with your story they will not refute your story the worst they will do to you is say well if that works for you great but i don't you know necessarily believe it but still in your testimony you need to contain the essence of the gospel message and that is that you know jesus uh, is our savior. He is, and again, I'm using Christian jargon, but that through him, we can have uh, access to God. Our sins, our wrongdoings can all be forgiven. It's nothing we can do, however you want to say it, but think about it in layman's terms. If you write it out on a page, it should be about a two-minute little speech or whatever that you want. It is about a page of paper, Have that ready. Have that ready to go. It is a very, very crucial key. Every month when the men meet, I try to have somebody share their testimony for the purpose of, A, getting to know each other, but also in case if somebody brings a non-Christian friend, they will be able to hear the gospel. That is part of my rationale for that. So have your testimony ready. It is a very, very powerful tool. So in response to her comment about the... um, Messiah, Jesus says very plainly, I who speak to you am he. Boom. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he'd been speaking to a woman, yet no one said to him, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went to the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? So what would the subtitle to this be when she goes back into the town? She says, hey, you won't believe who I just met. And the point that we need to take away from this is that new believers sometimes make the best missionaries. New believers can sometimes make the best missionaries. She didn't know a whole lot, but she knew she found someone special. She forgot about what she was doing. She left her water pot, went into the town to talk to the men. It was probably her ex-husbands. That's the only men that are mentioned in this text. Imagine how awkward that is, you know, tracking down your five exes and telling them, hey, I have met the Messiah. But if you think about it, this Samaritan woman made the perfect missionary. She was a Samaritan. She knew the culture. She knew the custom. If there were any language issues, she knew those. She was an insider, she would be readily received by the people of Samaria. A Jew would face all kinds of resistance, but she was a natural insider. A very interesting and sad statistic is that when someone becomes a Christian, within two years, within two years they have lost all meaningful contact with their non-believing friends. It's a kind of a good, bad thing, is people have turned and they've come to the church, they've been involved in a community of believers, they're excited about their faith, but they have forgotten their friends. And so our point is that we need to realize and think about our non-Christian friends. We may be the only link that they have to Jesus, so don't leave them behind. The story goes on, and they, the people of Sychar, went out of the city and they were coming to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? Again, Jesus says one thing and they totally missed the point. Jesus says to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white for harvest. Now Jesus wasn't talking about literal crops, but what he was referring to was was the barley harvest. When barley is ripe and ready to harvest, it has a whitish color to it. So what Jesus was saying is that there are many, many people out there who are ready and willing to hear about the message of the Messiah. Somebody just needs to tell them. And he says already, he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I say to you, excuse me, I sent to you That doesn't sound right. Uh, I sent you. Oh, so I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have not, and you have entered into their labor. Sorry, the rain is uh, distracting me. I'm glad we're inside, not outside. What Jesus is saying is that people had planted seeds. How else did the woman know about the Messiah? And so here Jesus comes along. He so to speak, he harvests there. He. He gets her over the goal line, if we can refer back to the Super Bowl. But we need to realize that we may be reaping, we may be sowing or we may be reaping, but we need to be involved in the harvest some way in some shape. And we never know what role we're playing, but we need to get involved. And from that city, from Sychar, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all things I have done. I just want to pause there, is that, She didn't have a whole lot. What Jesus said really was not that flattering about her. But the point is, and probably what the Samaritans locked into was that Jesus accepted her as she was. I think it's a very important point. He told me all things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. He stayed with them two days. And for a Jew to stay and eat and teach for two days in Samaria was extremely radical. It was somewhat dangerous, but it was it was like back in the 50s, the racial tensions that we had here in this country, to cross over those lines. Or if you're in South Africa, apartheid in the 1980s. Jesus was more concerned about people than he was about prejudice. All right. And many people believed in his word, and they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you say that we believe, for we have heard ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. She initially gave them a brief little testimony, but they went and they found out for themselves. And basically, the best thing we can do is to point people to Jesus and let them decide for themselves. And that's really what evangelism is. So our applications... I have four of them on your sheet. The first one is faithfully pray for someone that needs to know Jesus. In your life, a friend, a family member, a neighbor, make them your prayer target. Pray for them faithfully. Pray that God would show them their need. Also pray for yourself that you have the boldness and the opportunity to talk to them. Second of all, I'd mention spend time with non-Christians. Spending time with them goes a long way to break down stereotypes. Thirdly, be prepared to share your testimony. That's your homework. Make sure you've got your testimony ready. Plant the seeds of the gospel. Be willing to plant the seeds of the gospel. Take a risk. Engage people. If there's an opening to a spiritual conversation, let them you know try to take it. If not, drop little seeds along the way. I had a conversation this past week. Somebody asked me what I was doing. I could have said, well, nothing, but I said, well, I'm preaching. And that kind of perked their ears up a little bit. But dropping little seeds, you never know where it's going to go. And that, those are the application points. Pray, spend time with people, have your testimony ready, and be willing to spread the seeds of the gospel. Let me pray. Dear only Father, we come to you.